Welcome to the City Club of Central Oregon's Youth Forum. Today's conversation is mental health and wellness. So thank you all for, for coming, and I hope we're going to have a good conversation about this today. My name is Lisa Doby, and I'm a caregiver with St. Charles Health System. So my first thing is everybody wash your hands. Uh, St. Charles is proud to be a platinum sponsor of City Club, and I'm honored to serve as the president uh, this year. Thanks also to Brooks Resources and to the River House of the Deschutes for their substantial sponsorships. And today, we're also honored to have a group of students here from Culver High School. Raise your hand, Culver folks. No? Yes, there. Okay. These students are here today thanks to a grant from U.S. Bank. So thank you to U.S. Bank and, okay, all together, go Bulldogs. Go Bulldogs. Perfect, her alarm to, set, to wash her hands, she says. <laughs> um, so this year's City Club is focusing on civility. We're committed to fostering an environment of civility that welcomes everyone. We also believe in an expansive definition of we, where everyone's voice is heard, not just the voices of those of power or privilege. Together as a community, we're taking steps to engage in conversation that is meaningful, difficult, and respectful. The tools that we use to engage in that conversation are on a card at your, your table, and I hope you all had a chance to look at that. The tools we use are pay attention, listen, be inclusive, don't gossip, show respect, be agreeable, apologize, give constructive, constructive criticism, and take responsibility. And our board at City Club is also really walking our talk. And each month, we're discussing one of the tools at our board meetings. Um, at our meeting next Monday, we're going to be focusing on listening. And our reflection is going to be, listening is being silent with another person in an active way. City Club Youth Forums are collaboration with Better Together. Executive Director Katie Condit, Katie, where? Katie, 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 over there, okay. And I were trading messages um, yesterday on how these civility tools could also be useful in Better Together's work. Katie, you have any comments you want to talk about using these tools in your work? Tools in your work? Sure, I'd, um, I'd love to just touch really quickly on the be respectful, was that? Um, the, the be respectful tool, and I think it links really closely with why we've prioritized this Youth City Club. And one of the things that we practice at our core with Better Together is really honoring and trusting the voices of the people that we center in our work. And so the example here today is young people. And so to be respectful in our space, we honor and trust that what young people say they're experiencing and they need is true. Uh, we trust that as adults, we may think we know. Um, we often are the experts in our field, and we do know a lot, but we don't know what the lived experience is of young people um, the way they know it. And so I think the be respectful component of that is really trusting that voice um, and trusting and honoring that and making decisions based on what young people tell us they need. Thank you, Katie, and thanks for being such a good partner with City Club. All right, today's moderator is Mel Butterfield. 
and Mel leads the Central Oregon Division of Oregon Youth Line, which is a peer-to-peer -peer crisis and support line for young people. Launched by Lines of Life in 2000, Youthline has expanded to Central Oregon, where specially trained volunteers help peers through a crisis line, provide school-based outreach, and train and equip teens to help their peers with a myriad of challenges and stresses. Mel Butterfield's knowledge and expertise of this community, of our county, our communities, along with her professional experience in investigating child abuse for the last 10 years, supports YouthLine's goal to promote youth wellness, education, and access to resources. Please join me in welcoming Mel Butterfield. Thank you, good morning, all of you. I'm gonna use the stairs, because if I do not, I'm gonna be the one that tumbles off the stage. So one of the tools, actually, that we wanted to connect, have you move in, John, um, our work with uh, the civility tools was um, paying attention. Paying attention is absolutely crucial in the work that we do. Um, we already kind of, Katie talked about it a little bit, this concept of, as adults, often we, we say that we have all of this knowledge and experience, um, and sometimes we forget to listen and pay attention because we feel like we know better because we have all sorts of life experience. It's crucial that we're paying attention to all the invitations and signs that are around us about the youth that we're working with and teaching that to them, and they teach that to me every single day. So, as I said, none of you are here to see me or hear me talk. Obviously, I have a scratchy voice today. I'm so sorry. Um, but I would love for all of you to go down the line, say your name, your age, and what school you go to while I run back to the table because I forgot my questions. <laughs> uh, my name is Morgan. I am 17 and a senior at Summit High School. My name is Trace. I'm 15 and I'm a freshman or I'm a sophomore at Lapine High School. My name is Anya, I'm 18, and I'm a senior at Redmond Proficiency Academy. My name's Campbell, I'm 16, and I'm a sophomore at Bend High. My name is John, and I'm a, and I'm a second year at CSCC. Perfect, thank you. Okay, we're just gonna jump in. <clears throat> Our first question that we had prepared is that we throw this term around, mental health, mental wellness, all the time. From a young person or a young adult perspective, what does that mean to you? Um, to me, I feel like from my personal experience, if my mental health isn't doing super well or maybe I'm super stressed out, my overall health, like physical health and just physical well-being isn't, I guess, normal to me. Um, and I'm more run down and I'm more likely to be tired and not feeling well. Um, but Morgan also has a really good analogy for this question. Yeah, so speaking of the connection between physical and mental health, what do you do if you have a broken bone? You go to the doctor, right? It's clearly broken, it's clearly not working, you need help, you go to the doctor. No one questions if you're sitting out of PE, no one questions that it's hurt, but if someone says they have depression, there is this huge question of, well, is it real, do you really feel it, do you really need help? And the answer is yes there's still a part of you that needs help. There's still a part of you that might need to take a break from class, sit out, and see someone. Amazing, anybody else? Okay, our next question is, do you feel like the resources being offered in schools currently to address mental wellness are effective? Um, so from my experience at a, like especially rural school, 
Um, I don't think mental health and well-being is talked about as much as it should be. Um, I think for my school, at least, it really comes down to resource availability because there's not many resources in my town, and the nearest is probably in Bend, which is about 30 miles away. And then I think it also stems from like teacher like comfortability with the level about talking about mental health and wellness. And I think that not enough people are trained on it to address it properly and in a constructive and progressive way. For sure. Do you see something different at the college level? Um, kind of, yeah. They do offer uh, free counseling to every student, so that's a good way to talk to somebody there. Uh, there are resources that are posted, like signs, just like about mental health, not really talking about it, just sign posted there about it. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> what role does social media play in mental wellness and mental health? Uh, yeah, so social media. Wow. Um, I would like to acknowledge that there is a negative side to social media before I say anything else. There's definitely social media addiction. We see online bullying and you know lots of negative things that can come with that. But I would also like to acknowledge that there is a huge positive side. I mean, we all work for Youthline. That is an online resource. If someone is feeling depressed and like they can't get out of bed, they can't leave their room, all they have to do is pick up their phone and they can immediately get in contact with a trained teen or just friends or other people that they feel like they can talk to. And so if that phone gets taken away, you've just further isolated someone who feels like they can't reach out. So I think it's important that we acknowledge both sides. Yes, it can be a bad thing. It can also be a huge connector and a help for people who are struggling. For sure. Anybody else want to add anything to that? Like, uh, sometimes I post videos on social media, and sometimes uh, there's a lot of responsive comments, like positive, but if you see, like, one negative, it really just make you just focus on that one negative comment, and it just affects you, like, you just feel down about it, and you just don't feel all right about that video. Off of kind of that thought process, John, the idea of if you're posting something, you can have 10 positive comments, and you have one negative one that can like change your opinion of that whole thing. How do you all manage that? <sighs> it's okay, take yeah. a second. Um, like that negative comment, I just worked off it to make a better video and made people laugh still and it worked out in my favor, but probably not for somebody else. Like when I see a negative comment, I just wanna make a positive out of it. Yeah, perfect, thanks for sharing. Does anybody else have different things that they do if they see something negative? Um, I try to look at more of the positive ones. <laughs> I mean, there is some negative ones, but also like the positive overweighs the negative. So I try to look at, at it that way and kind of just, I don't know, kind of see maybe where they're coming from, maybe. For sure. Um, I'd like all of you to respond to this one. If you could tell adults anything about mental wellness or what you as youth or young adults need from us, what would you tell us? I think as a teen, um, something that I would probably say is sometimes we just want someone to listen. Um, and if we come to you to listen, that means like actively listen, maybe not giving your advice until we ask for it. All of you are on this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say that that is really good. And if, But if you do get a kid that's asking for advice and you don't know what to say, I would just really encourage you to acknowledge that within yourself and still get them outside help, even if you can't be there for them. Um, I would say to just validate our feelings and affirm that like whatever you're feeling is okay and just like 
congratulate them on their strength and courage for coming to you for support because uh, you know it's something that's really personal if they're coming to you for support it shows that they think they have a really close bond with you and maintaining that bond is really important yeah adding to that it's sometimes really hard to come to someone just to tell them what's going on for them so for them to come to you is just means a lot yeah just somebody that's open with you just is easier to talk to I'm going to add to that. Do you all feel like when you speak to adults about a problem that most adults go into a fix-it language? We want to fix it for you. Yes. <laughs> we do that, folks. <laughs> so I'm hearing from all of you that you really just want somebody to hear what's happening and not go into fix-it language, that you want to own some of your own autonomy, that you are your own people and you want to work through some stuff, even if it's hard if we're the adult in that situation. Like it's really hard to watch our kids suffer, but that's a part of their process and they're trying to figure out what that looks like. Does that feel fair? You're all like, yes. <laughs> Don't fix it, parents. <laughs> okay, we have some time um, for open questions that we would like to open up to the audience. Um, and we're gonna work on that process in a second. So you are able to text questions in if you have any questions for the youth panel. Um, <clears throat> while you're thinking about those, uh, I will, I actually have an alternative question that I wanted to ask. Oh, I love this one. Let's do this one. Hold on, I must stand. So how do each of you address diversity in your lives or maybe the lack thereof based on where we live? What would you want community members to know about diversity and how it plays a part in your lives? That's a good one. Okay, first of all, I want to say diversity is not just race. I mean, it, that is one thing and does mean a lot to me, but it's not the only thing. Diversity is like who you are and how you're different from everybody else, whether that's your identity, whether that's just who you are. So it kind of is just like, how we're all different, but also still connected. And it plays a part of my life because, I mean, race for me does play a big part and it kind of separates me from a lot of people sometimes. But then also, like, I have a disease and I don't have hair from that. So that also kind of means something to me. And so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would say that Bend is not very diverse. Um, it's very white. Uh, <laughs> and I think it takes a lot on my part to go to the internet and educate myself to try and s stay respectful and up to date and not, you know, offend anyone because that isn't something that I want to do and I don't have the first hand experience with that because I've grown up at least my teen years here in Bend. Uh, yeah, I've been here all my life. Uh, not that it's been getting a lot more diverse, as I notice, with more people moving in. Um, just cultural differences is really just the barrier between like mental health and now this, with uh, just talking about it. Else, okay. Do we have another question? Is there a social stigma attached to seeking help for mental health services? What does that look like and how do we change it? Um, I would say that there's definitely a stigma attached to reaching out for help. Um, 
like Morgan's analogy, like if you have a broken bone, you go to the doctor. But if you have like depression or something, it's kind of like frowned upon and you're like singled out a little bit. Um, I think we should really try to normalize talking about this, doing events like this, because it just helps normalize that conversation. Because that first conversation is probably the most important one, because it creates a good like um, environment to go forward. Uh, when we teach in classrooms, we tell kids that it takes, on average, 10 years for a person to reach out. Uh, that is a whole decade of suffering, trying to figure out what's going on for you, struggling with the stigma that I do think is attached to it. And I think it's important to recognize that that number is high. It's higher than it should be. And working to change that is something that we should all be doing. What do you think the social stigma looks like? Is there judgment from peer to peer? Is it adult to youth? Is it all the above? I feel like um, it's more like, I feel like a lot of teens are already having the conversation. I think it's more of, not that adults are judging, but that maybe they're not educated or they just don't know that teens are already having the conversation. Thank you, anyone else? It's also like a very new thing that we are starting to talk about it a lot more. So I think more what Anya was saying was like we're talking about a lot because it's like what we're talking about, I guess. But it in I don't know. But it's just kind of just a new thing. Well, no pressure. <laughs> Dude, it's okay. What's the next question, please? Okay, schools have been working to promote mental health wellness. What would you tell them to keep doing, and what would you tell them to stop doing from a school level? Uh, again, keep talking about it. Keep making that effort and trying to promote mental wellness. I also think that um, while having like suicide prevention lessons and talking about mental health and well-being in like classes is really important, it should definitely be like a school-wide or like a year-long thing because it's not always like, I, at least at my school, it was one lesson and then we were done. We just moved on to another unit. And that's not always helpful because sometimes it takes a lot of people to open up to those things and become comfortable talking about that topic. I think Trace mentioned a lack of teacher training earlier. Or it might have been Anya. Trace, yeah. I think that is something that could be improved because... I know all schools have counselors, but they can be kind of inaccessible at times just because there are so few of them for so many students. And teachers actually have more direct contact with teens throughout the day. And while peers are the most likely to notice a change, I think a lot of people bond with teachers. But when they go to them, there might be a lack of maybe trauma-informed teaching or knowing exactly what to say to that person. So training teachers and having them be aware of what to say to kids when they come to them with their issues is really important. Also being like okay that for a student to take a break and maybe the stuff that you're teaching that they've had personal experiences so for them to be okay for them to maybe take a break in the hall. Absolutely, thank you. That's our next question. <clears throat> what is the one thing you feel adults most misunderstand in your struggle to maintain your mental health? Great question. One thing? <laughs> We could do umbrella terms. <laughs> uh, I would say if I had to pick one thing, maybe that the assumption that, oh, you are struggling 
we will fix this thing and then it's over. It is a lifelong battle for a lot of people and it's something that doesn't ever really go away. It kind of ebbs and flows. And so I think for a lot of people there can be this, oh, it's happening again? I thought that was last year. I thought we were done with that. And it's like, no, it's, it's still there and it might still be there for a long time. Um, I also think that like a lot of adults tend to think that when like a teen tells them their struggles, it's like, oh, someone else has it worse than you. And I feel like that's pretty invalidating to say just because for many teens, these are like the first time they're experiencing these emotions and they don't always have the support systems in place to cope with these in a healthy way. And so just making sure that you acknowledge and respect that their feelings are just as valid as yours is really important. I think one, I mean, I've seen and heard as a lot of times is like, oh, they're just being an angsty teenager. Um, and I hear that a lot within adults. Um, so I think maybe taking that stereotype off of mental health. Anything else? Just putting yourself on the same level as them, not putting them on a pedestal or you on your high horse. <laughs> just having, yeah. is that what you were going to say? Yeah, basically just having empathy. Uh, I will say without putting any of them on the spot. So as a supervisor of YouthLine, um, I supervise the lines where we get calls, text, chats, and emails from youth across the nation and worldwide. My teens that work on that line respond and I supervise their work. They do fantastic. It's amazing what they do. Um, but I can tell you that I hear all the time a really common theme that youth feel like they're alone. Sorry, my voice is going a little bit. Um, that they feel like they're alone, even if they know that there's adults that they could probably talk to. They don't know how to have that conversation. They feel like it will go into fix-it language. Um, and that they're dismissed. I've heard the angsty teen. I've heard um, it's just hormones. I've heard, you're 14, you're freaking out about this, like wait until, and, I, and I've actually heard, which was so, art it was articulated so well, that particular 14 year old said, if it's gonna get worse, how, I don't even wanna be in this, like feels awful, this is like the worst thing that's ever happened to me, and it is very dismissive and it's not validating, so making sure that we're really conscious and paying attention to the language that we're using um, when we're having conversations with teens, because yes, we have all of this adult, experience and life experience and all the things that we've done in our lives, they don't. So that first breakup is the worst thing that has ever happened to them. A move away from their friends and having to make new friends is horrible. Having to deal with a sibling who's being a jerk that day can be like the worst thing that happened. So making sure that we're validating what that looks like, um, those themes happen and we hear them all the time on the lines of really feeling alone and not having um, a resource. So making sure that we're paying attention to what that looks like. Okay, next question, I'll get off my soapbox. What are the most common mental health challenges you see teens facing? It's like I knew that was coming, I'm kidding. <laughs> what do you feel like, you, maybe what you see in the lines, what you see at college, what are you seeing people struggling with? Anxiety a lot. Uh, just kind of like you said, the feeling alone, you have a lot of people that are struggling and they're not sure who to reach out to or how to reach out. Does that feel pretty fair to everybody? Yeah, anxiety. Something that we talk about in classes a lot um, is our use of language, right? Um, that often teens are saying this or hearing from friends, this idea of, I'm just super depressed. And then we ask that question, well, when they say I'm super depressed, do they mean they're diagnosed with depression? And every single one of them will say what? 
No, they're just sad. They're just yeah. sad or angry or scared or whatever. So making sure that we're, we as adults also are being really conscious about the language that we're using and making it appropriate. If it's depression and it's been diagnosed, absolutely use that word. But if it's not that word, then use the appropriate emotion that's matched to that because that can be hugely dismissive to somebody who is actually diagnosed with depression. And I've had teens in classes who are like, does that feel dismissive? And the ones that are diagnosed, they have to deal with that every day. They're like, yep, that sucks. It makes me mad. Um, and it's good to have peers that are next to them that can say like, oh, I didn't know you had depression. I didn't know that was a thing, um, that it was different than we just kind of throw this word out all the time. Thanks, you guys. Another question. What are some real things that we could do to destigmatize mental health? And where do we start? For me, I think making awareness is like the first step because when I did a spoken word a little bit ago and part of it I said was um, if you bring awareness and do things like this, people will join your, your side and help you fight too. So just finding the people that will help you fight and kind of fight with your, like, I guess, thing you want to change, you'll start to make an impact. I would say there's a lot of that and a lot of uh, language changes that are happening, like Mel said, and then also things like saying completed suicide instead of committed. Uh, that's a huge one that's been changing. Um, and then instead of saying depressed woman, saying woman with depression to kind of put the person before the mental illness because mental illness does not define people even if it, if it is a part of who they are. Anybody else? Okay, another question. Do we feel today's stressors or stresses are different than older generations? Uh, I think there are a lot of them that are similar, like break up, school, family, you know those things. But going back to social media, I think that's something new that, again, can cause a lot of stress. Uh, while reaching out through phones is great, it is also something that is constantly there. If you are being bullied online, that goes home with you. It doesn't just end when you get on the school bus anymore. What else? Does anybody have any other ideas on what might be different now for you all than it was for us? Yeah, just the use of social media is just progress that more with being able to 24-7 be able in contact with everything. And then uh, kind of just with influencers, kind of just looking at their lavish lifestyles, people just wish they had that. So it's just this wishing they could be like these people that they see everywhere on social media. <clears throat> For sure. Thank you. What's our next question? <laughs> <laughs> Please explain what Youthline is and how and why you got involved. I did not plan that either. <laughs> okay. uh, so Youthline is a free, confidential, teen-to-teen -teen crisis help and support line. So we all go through 50-plus hours of training to be on the lines. And 63. 60, oh my god. <laughs> Which they all volunteer. Yes. Uh, it's from 4 to 10 Pacific Standard Time, and if you text, call, whatever in, and we are not there, teens are not there, uh, you'll be rerouted to just a general suicide hotline. So... You never, there's never nobody, but if you want teens, it's from four to 10. Um, oh, why did I get involved? Uh, <laughs> well, I'm very passionate about mental health and being a youth mental health advocate, and I believe I saw them at the NAMI Health Walk, like not the one that happened this year, but the one that happened the year before that. And I just thought it was amazing that as a teen, I could actually talk to people who were struggling, that I could get 
all the certifications that you get and that I was allowed to do that as like a 16 year old. Um, I guess I got involved just because I noticed that mental health was something that really needed to be talked about. Um, there was a couple like school shooting threats at my school and I just felt like if someone isn't that hard of a place where they feel like the only way they can express their emotions through taking that out on other people, that uh, we really need to change how we view mental health and how we address it. And I just think it's a really powerful thing to be able to use your lived experiences as a teen to help other teens with what they're going through too. Um, kind of same as what Morgan and Trey said, um, I know that we kind of lack, especially with teenagers, um, having support for mental health. And so I was at COCC and I saw one of the, the youth lion fires and so I contacted them and kind of just took off from there. I'm also really passionate about mental health and I kind of want to work on breaking the stigma of mental health. And yeah, um, how I got involved. My mom went to a thing and <laughs> heard about it, and she told me about it, and I thought it was really cool. But then I, Mel came into my school also and talked about it, and then I got more interested in it, and then I saw flyers around, and my counselor told me to do it, and I was like, that's something I want to do. So I did it. <laughs> and here we are. To make it less specific to Youthline, what made you want to do this panel today to share your voice? Uh, I just wanted to be heard on these issues and wanted to come out and talk about it. Awesome. Thank you. The other shameless plug that I'll give for Youthline. So the amazing training that all of these youth volunteers do, they do 63 hours of training before they can even get on the lines. Um, <clears throat> they have to be certified in Safe Talk. They get certified in Youth Mental Health First Aid. Obviously, they get certified in our Youthline training. The amazing part of that is that the Youth Mental Health First Aid training is actually only made for adults to get. We went to the creditors of that, that training program, gave them our curriculum, and said, we think that it would be really valuable for our youth to have. Will you vet our training and see if you would give us the ability to train us and certify our youth in youth mental health first aid? They not only gave us that permission, but we are the only state in the nation that gets to train and certify youth in youth mental health first aid. Um, so it's awesome the amount of things that they get to do. Yeah. Also, did I say they volunteer all their time? <laughs> I, I remember maybe a different youth era of like 16, 17 years old. Would I do 63 hours of volunteer training? Not a chance. Um, so the fact that they do it every single week, they get to come and do these kinds of panels. They volunteer their time um, to make sure that their voice is heard. And I think that is absolutely amazing. So I have to give them all, and you included, like the, you all got up super early this morning to come out and talk about this, this subject that you're really passionate about. Sorry, another question. <laughs> I'll make them talk. <clears throat> what tools would help you develop the resilience to deal with the challenges that can lead to mental health problems or issues? That is such a good question. I have to think about it. Now take a minute. I mean, I feel like it's really different for every teen what works for them. And it's kind of when you deal with that first struggle and you just kind of are hit with, oh, wow, this is like tonight is bad, today is bad. What could I possibly do to make myself feel better? And that's how you find what self-care is for you. It could be reading a book, taking a shower, speaking to a friend, reaching out to Youthline, any of those things. Do we all collectively believe that people have resiliency in them? 
Right, and if we believe that, do we believe that maybe sometimes it's just a conversation of figuring out what that tool is, is to make them believe that they have some resiliency? Because sometimes we get stuck in that land of like, nope, I'm not gonna survive this. Does that feel fair? I think that's part of what that question is of, we have to, one, help and support people in believing that they are resilient, that they can get through something, and then what's the tool that's gonna help them do that, which is exactly what Morgan was talking about, that, that self-care idea. And how good are we as adults at taking care of ourselves? I am one of them talking right now <laughs> with a sore throat, right? We're not super good at taking care of ourselves, and we're especially bad at it when we're in crisis. And we talk to youth about this all the time, of making sure that you have a plan. What's your plan when you're in crisis? Who do you talk to? What do you do to take care of yourselves? And do it when you're calm. Do it when you're in stasis. Do it when you're in this like happy place, because aren't we like really good when we're up here coming up with some out-of-the-box amazing ideas? None of us are. So teaching youth how to do that when they're young makes them even more resilient as adults. And I think just that part of it can be a tool. Figuring out what your plan is before you need your plan. It's that plan B, I guess you could say, or whatever that looks like. Yeah, and I think if you're an adult caregiver, parent, whoever you are that's wondering what tools could help your kid or person you're concerned about, have the conversation, right? Because it is different for everyone. Sit them down and say like, hey, I'm really worried you seem like you're in a crisis, something's wrong, et cetera, whatever's going on for them. What helps you? What could I give you, provide you with that would help you right now? Also, do you feel like as youth, young adults, that it would be helpful if adults were willing to have that conversation with you and you not have to explain why you're in crisis? Help me figure out tools, but I don't want to tell you why I'm super upset right now. Would that be helpful? Do we as adults feel like we could do that? <laughs> so we all have to work together <laughs> with some different skills. Um, and also, that's building a relationship of trust with our youth, too. If we can have that conversation where you don't have to tell me all the things, but I at least know I'm helping you figure out something that you're taking care of yourself, maybe after a while you'll tell me what that crisis was or what was going on. Uh, what do you feel are the best vehicles to communicate and share? Are teens primarily sharing in person or via social media? Do they learn most, learn most to peers, adults, or teachers, counselors? Additionally, what are the behaviors we as adults should be aware of, concerned about? I can answer part of that. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Um, well, geez. I would say <laughs> that there's probably a lot of communication through social media. I think in-person conversations for the first conversation can be teens, for teens, can be really difficult. I think sometimes it's easier to reach out to that friend, peer, family member, whatever, over social media to kind of first say like, hey, I think I might be struggling because that in-face conversation can be really scary. But I definitely think that, at least personally, I've had more face-to-face -face conversations after I've kind of gotten that initial conversation out of the way over social media. Um, I don't, just my personal opinion, I don't think people are reaching out to school counselors as much as they could be because at least at Summit, I think they seem kind of inaccessible. Um, and as for reaching out to family, I totally think it depends on that person and their family and how they feel about their family unit. And I think like what you said about school counselors is a lot of times, sometimes when you do go to school counselors, it's almost more the, they focus on the stressors at school, like the grades and maybe your relationships at school. And we kind of forget about the mental health part of it. And then like what else is going on in that kid's life. And I think it's really important that we address that. Anya, I'm going to put you on the spot. How do you think you could address that? How do we address that we feel like counselors aren't accessible? Because I've heard that from a lot of different people. So 
blanket answer. It's not just her or her school. <laughs> I've heard that from a lot of youth that feel like school counselors aren't accessible and that they just focus on classes, grades, maybe testing, those kinds of things, and you may have other major other issues that you need to address. How do you feel like we could change that? Well, I think one of them is that we need more school counselors within the schools, which is a hard thing to get. Um, and I think also it's important that, I think it's almost just like a reminder that we're not, even though we're at school, our lives aren't just about school and that we do have other things going on. And maybe it's, whether that's like, I don't know, having a training for school counselors or, but it definitely needs to be reminded. I think also the advertising for school counselors could be changed. They're not advertised as like, oh, you could go talk to this person about your mental health. They're advertised very much as, oh, if you need to switch a class second semester, like go see your counselor. If you're having a problem getting credit, go see your counselor. And it, they should, if, if they are intended to be there for more than that, which I think they should be, it should be advertised that way to students. Yeah, like um, I just remember in high school, uh, I think, uh, I don't know if it was both, but I remember one of the counselors, it wasn't about talking, it was just about getting those, the school, just your classes and everything, not about talking to them, just that. So just a set counselor that's there for uh, one to talk to. I know at our school we do have like an on-campus therapist, which is really cool, and I think having more of that would be really awesome. One therapist? At your school? How many students do you have? A lot. <laughs> you have 2,500. I'm pretty sure you're close to 2,500. That's a, that's a hard ratio. And not saying anything against counselors, but how do, truly, how do you do effective work and help out youth that are saying they want help when you really can't as a counselor? Like, you, you cannot do that um, in helping out. So knowing that we have to make sure that there's other resources that are available and giving out that information and making sure that they can do that, but also hearing that opinion that um, youth really feel like they can't go to counselors unless it's about their school stuff. Um, and the majority of them are like, I can figure out how to change my class. <laughs> um, I just need to figure, I just need to talk to somebody about this other thing that's really freaking me out. Um, so yes, thank you all for sharing that. Do we have another question? How could we use social media in a positive way to destigmatize mental health? Good question. Well, I think it kind of already, there's some like, I don't know, on Instagram and things, there are some Instagrams that are focused on mental health. Like I've seen like little advertisements or things like that, or Facebook pages that focus on that. Um, but I think it's more when they do like maybe... Instagram pages want to focus on mental health is using the right language and making sure the practices are probably the best types of practices. I don't want to dominate too much, so let me know if you guys have things to say. But I have two um, points that I think are important. Um, one is that social media is a really great way to spread information, and there's a lot of bad information being spread. So putting good information out there and kind of letting it do that wildfire spread thing that social media is really good at is super important. And the other point that strays slightly from the question is from like a parent perspective in making social media a positive thing, just have the conversation. When you set rules and boundaries without talking to your teen about what they're using social media for and when they need it can be more negative than, 
hey, I just wanted to come to you and tell you that social media makes me nervous. It makes me nervous when you have that in your bed at night. I'm worried you're staying up on it. And giving the teen an opportunity to say, oh, when I'm on it at 9.30 at night, it's because I'm going to youth line or the suicide hotline or talking to my friends if they're willing to share that because sometimes that's what's happening. Um, but if not, then that's also a conversation of, oh, hey, you're on Snapchat till one in the morning. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, what I see like on Instagram, uh, it's not really these mental health ads. It's more like these stop smoking ads. Like They're not really relatable. They just need to be more relatable and less targeted towards it because it was not the best ads I've seen, like these puppets or these, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those weren't the best ads. And then these other ads about just don't, these people don't seem relatable as much. They just seem like we paid these people to do this, just talk about it, but just having real people who've been through this talk about their struggles and having their voice heard as well. Also, I've seen some pages where they just have like quotes and stuff and they're happy and cute and I read them and it makes me happy. Um, I also feel that like overall there's been like a self-care push on social media and there's just been a lot more posts like promoting like just taking care of yourself and um, yeah, just taking care of yourself and your mind and your body and I think that's really important because it just lets people know that they're not alone even like online because they have other people are going through it. That's a really good thing to point out because that one actually became like trendy. Like it became like a popular cool thing to do of like, oh, I'm just going to take a shower and like eat some healthy food. And I was like, oh, good for you. Like, cool. <laughs> Doing self-care. <laughs> That's awesome. Next question. <clears throat> what gives you hope about your generation? Um, I think that I'd have to say probably that our generation is pretty determined um, and we're pretty strong-willed. <laughs> I love that you look at me like, yes, we're stubborn. <laughs> uh, the fact that we are having the conversation, I think, is a really positive thing that gives me a lot of hope for the future. We are all very open-minded, I feel like. And empathetic. Progress we've made now, we can add on to it. They all should run for office. <laughs> Thank you all. I truly say every single time I'm absolutely honored to work with the youth that I get to work with. And they are so intelligent, so impassioned, and so empowered in being able to do what they do. It's fascinating to watch. One thing I wanted to add to that, kind of the positive spin, um, is how powerful this voice is. That we go and teach in classrooms all the time, and I can say my spiel, and one of my youth volunteers will repeat in their own language, and like they don't hear a word I say. And as soon as they talk, kids are like, oh yeah, I kind of know, like you seem like a cool human. <laughs> and they listen and they'll hear what they're saying, so it's really important to make sure that we're not only giving them the voice, but um, that they're connecting with their peer level. Because we all have to kind of try to remember, did we listen to our parents when we were their age? I, well, mostly adults were like, you're old, you don't know what you're talking about. So being able to have them empowered and sharing that information is amazing. And I've truly seen it happen where I will say one thing, crickets, teens will say it, and all the teens are like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm like, <laughs> okay, next question. Thank you for being you. Thank you for your bravery and sharing and what, your sources of, what are your sources of strength when you're in need? That's a great question. I got to jump on this one because Mel is a huge source of strength for me. Just 
the work that you've done and the way that you support us in being on the lines and how present you are in our lives is so important to me. Thank you. And then, <laughs> don't. This is, she makes me cry every time we do this stuff. <laughs> uh, it's a talent. I know. Um, and then also I think just for me, having parents who are very supportive of the work that I do and who do listen to me when I myself am having struggles is a huge source of strength, having the family behind you. I would agree with Morgan um, with having like the family that's super supportive, but also having Youthline as a whole um, coming in every Wednesday and you have like, we have like our own little family at Youthline and we come in and just having like a weekly check-in with like, it's like my, I come in and it's like my people. Like we all are doing the same thing and it's like laughter and it's super helpful when I'm having a super hard week because um, I can come in and I can, I feel like I can relate to everybody in the room. Yeah, I guess just like a youth line is a really big source of strength. Um, just a supportive family, a good friend group, um, food. Yeah. Yeah. I love youth line for me too. Mel has a big part of my life. She's amazing. And having like my family and I have a lot of other um, adults in my life that I love and I talk to them whenever I need a uh, good group of friends you could go, go out to and just be yourself and stuff. Uh, I also say that I would get a lot of strength from things like this, where you've all come out and given your morning to listen to us talk about our perspective. That gives me a lot of strength and hope. So thank you for that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Next question. <clears throat> can, can parents play a big role in breaking down the mental health stigma? And do you feel parents are modeling mental health care and normalizing conversation around mental health at home? So you can talk on a personal level, because you all talked about being supported by the adults in your family and your home. <clears throat> How about peers? Do you feel like peers also have that? So you could do it kind of an umbrella. Okay. <laughs> um, I would say that it is really important if it's happening, because I definitely have a lot of peers who have had to reach out to everyone else in their life except for their family, because family is not a safe place for them to talk about their struggles. I think that change can definitely start in the home because that is where a lot of teens spend a lot of their time. So if that place is safe and it's a place where they can talk about what they're struggling with and what they're feeling, that can be really impactful and important. And just starting at a young age, so they know when they get older, they'll always be there to talk to them. What advice would you give to teens who feel like they can't talk to someone about their problems? I feel like you're all gonna say the same thing. Yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> feel bad. I'm like waiting for one of you guys to say it, but youth line, like just if, if you feel, if you're a teen and you feel like you can't talk to someone, the nice thing about youth line is that it is confidential and anonymous. You don't like, you don't know who we are when you're talking to us. We're just someone there who can support and be there for you. And then, I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you feel like you can't talk to anyone, youth line is a good idea, but even if you feel like you can't talk to someone about the very deep things you're going through, even just starting the conversation off in like a small way is really important. If all you can say to your mom, dad, caregiver, parent, or friend is, hey, I'm kind of having a rough day, like if that's the only blanket statement you can give them, that is better than just saying nothing. I might be able to direct that question a little bit more. Taking out the youth line aspect, when we're helping youth on the lines and helping, trying to get them to, to kind of work through what's going on for them. What are some of the things that we do or that we offer or that we might suggest that we're working with them? Because we can't give advice. We don't do that. And why don't we do that, friends? 
because we're not them and we don't know exactly what they're going through. So we try to maybe turn the question over to them and help them figure out how to solve that. Right, so sometimes I've heard you all say, like if you had a best friend come to you with this problem that you're sharing, what would you say to them? Um, you guys have all said different things when it comes down to uh, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's writing a letter to that person that you can't actually verbally say it so that it can all get out and not be interrupted. What are some other things that you can remember that you do? Um, we can also help like connect people to different resources in their community by using um, SAMHSA and just other like online databases for mental health resources. Sometimes they might be scared of telling the person, so I, what I've done is we can go, like they pretend I'm them, and we like go through it, and practicing it makes it easier, I guess. All right, next question. Are there student clubs or groups at your schools <clears throat> focused on mental health, on the mental health conversation? I'm not gonna lie to you guys, I don't know if there's one at Summit. I would like to think that if there was one, I would be in it. Uh, I know we have Muse Club at Summit, and they, as far as I know, are really good about talking about mental health, um, but I know that that's not their focus. Um, we also have a GSA, and that is just a classified safe space for anyone. Um, but yeah, I don't know, it'd be cool if we had one. Um, my school started doing like these small, like, small groups, and it's, um, like these, I guess it's like four or five kids and it's a facilitated group with like the counselors and they meet I think like every Wednesday or something and they just get to talk about like anxiety or depression or suicide and they get to do it in a safe environment with people who are um, going through the same stuff and I think that's a really cool thing and I've been able to go into there and talk about Youthline and just try to offer those resources. Um, I don't really know if there's anything, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, I don't really know if there's anything in RPA. Um, yeah. At Bent High, I'm part of Design Justice, and we're a class that really just wants to make change. And we have different groups within that, and I'm part of the mental health group. And next week we're doing a mental health week, so the whole week is based around mental health and bringing awareness to that, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure. <laughs> That's fair. Um, what I was going to say as kind of a, an offshoot of that question of, of the clubs that you may be in or different clubs, like your social justice, right? Design justice. Design justice. Um, <clears throat> that's not specific to mental health, but you have a component in there that's a part yeah. of it. So, and then you talked about GSA, or if this is just kind of a universal safe place. Yeah, what? There's also a youth action council at my school, mm -hmm. which is, I think, through the school-based health center, and they talk about promoting health overall, mm -hmm. pretty cool. Since there's not a specific mental health or mental wellness club, there's components of in different clubs that you have, do you feel like youth would participate in a specific mental health club? I mean, I know that I would. <laughs> I feel Fair. like probably, I mean, I know that people crave that safe space where they can talk about things. So I think probably you would have like a solid club if you made one, at Summit at least. All of you are nodding. Okay, next question. At what age do you wish you had started learning about managing your mental wellness? Birth? <laughs> um, I don't know, I mean, I think that a lot of parents think that it's too heavy of a topic or something like that, but back to the broken bone thing, how early do you start learning about your physical health? 
pretty early. You learn about bumps, bruises, scrapes. Of course, you don't talk to a two-year-old about heart surgery, just like you probably wouldn't talk to that two-year-old about suicide, maybe. But you could talk to them about when you feel extremely sad. Or sometimes people get overwhelmed in certain situations and they have to take a break. So there's ways that you can talk about it from a young age. And I think it's really important that maybe that starts happening. Because if it's a normalized thing in your family and you just you know that it's something you have been talking about since you were two, it makes the heavier conversations a lot easier. Yeah, I totally agree with Morgan. I think the younger that you can start talking about it, I think the better it is. You just kind of have to change the language of the conversation. I also agree that starting it young is the best because sometimes kids are subjected to certain like stressors or sometimes they're just in certain situations that cause a lot of stress. And if they don't know how to take care of their mental health, it can just kind of snowball. I have one more thing, unless you want to say something. Okay. Um, I think it's also really important if we're looking at ACE scores, Adverse Childhood Experience scores, which is really relates to just resiliency and like as a child, when you are faced with trauma and stress, how much can you handle? How do you handle it? What tools do you already feel like you have? And so talking about ways that kids can handle that will probably raise their resiliency when they come in contact with things. Absolutely. You notice that all of us were like, Morgan, you're using the big words again. <laughs> we appreciate you on so many levels. Okay, next question, please. Oh, that's a good question. You're all amazing, articulate, and inspirational. Do your peers support your efforts? Do you talk about what you do with your peers? Let's start with that. I do talk about what I do with my peers, and I think there's definitely, like, especially when I talk about youth line, there's that initial, like, oh, my God, so you talk to people who are, like, depressed, and I'm like... Yes, okay, let's be respectful. <laughs> um, I'd say they're very supportive. I think a lot of teens are surprised that I do it. They're like, oh, you do that in your free time and it's not paid? And I'm like, yeah, I just do this. <laughs> um, but I definitely think they're supportive. I have to agree that you are all amazing, articulate, and inspirational. And I'm kind of watching time. We have 10 minutes-ish. Do we still have more questions? How can the community support the amazing work of youth lines? I think just spreading the awareness that we're out there. Um, we have little wallet cards and little pamphlets. I know like my little brother, he hands them out all the time. He's an eighth grader at school. He'll be like, oh, here's youth line. And he'll hand them out out of his wallet. Um, so I think having that and being able to pass it out to kids is super important. Uh, I know when we get people on the lines, we'll ask them where they heard of us. And I've had like a fair amount of people say like, oh, my mom put this up on the refrigerator. And so providing it for your own kids as like a safe, oh, this is just a thing that's out here that anyone in the family can use is a good thing to do as well. But also not like pushing them to use it. Right, yeah. Yeah, like, like not shoving the card under the door while they're sleeping or in the bathroom. Yeah, don't do that. Um, we also do a bunch of like other outreach events like this. Um, so we can go and like table at certain events and just get the word out, which is pretty cool. Like we will be at the Muse conference this evening. Yes, that would be amazing. Um, my shameless plug for Youthline on that one is um, visibility and awareness is hugely important to me. In my kind of uh, bio profile, you heard at the very beginning that I investigated child abuse for over 10 years in the Tri-County area. 
and I never knew that Youthline was a resource, and I worked with high-risk youth every single day. So the part of my passion in making sure that people know this, like I will beat down doors. I'm the one who's like, here, take this card, just shoving it underneath doors, um, and making sure that people know that this is available, because, shocker, this has been available for over 20 years. This has been a resource for every single youth in the nation for over 20 years, and I didn't know that until two years ago. Um, and I will say that our call volume, because we're doing a ton of really active visibility and awareness work in our area, has increased in the Tri-County area. And I think that's an amazing thing. That What's that saying is that if youth have the information, <clears throat> that they will use it. And they do. And, and having other youth being able to say, like, hey, this is actually a cool program. Um, you should reach out, that we actually get a lot of youth that just reach out to test it. They're like, are you really adults and you're just faking it? You're faking it as teens? Are you um, a robot? Yes, yeah, we get we, that one a lot. We get the, are you a robot? Um, and they'll just test it out. But that makes sense. Like, I'm very glad that they're testing it. Sometimes they'll test it with a pretty neutral topic. And then once they figure out, like, oh, this is a safe place, and it's blah, blah, everything comes out. Like, I share all, they share all the things. So we're truly knowing and sharing that this is a resource. And if this isn't the thing that they want to use, then give them another one. And having to acknowledge on an adult level that if we aren't their person, we have to accept that we aren't their person. We have to make sure that we are okay with somebody else being their person as long as they've got one, right? Um, and a lot of us as parents can take that very personally, um, and we have to step aside from that. We have to let that part go and making sure that we're very okay with, pe with kids reaching out to whoever is going to support them as long as they're appropriate and healthy and making sure that that's a resource. Okay, any more? When talking about social media, how has TikTok positively or negatively affected the mental wellness of teens? Oh man, you guys just take it away. Go. I don't know who asked this question, but thank you. Um, I really like TikTok, but I also know that it's kind of like the new uh, platform on social media. And I've definitely seen, and this is just me speaking from what I've seen on TikTok, there's a lot of stuff about ED and eating disorders that can be really harmful. And like people talking about the way that they, I'm gonna say this wrong, not like perform their eating disorder, but like the things that they do, like sharing like those online. Ritual. Yeah, practice a ritual. And it doesn't always have a trigger warning on it and that can be really harmful for people. And I know that there's also a lot of um, videos talking about the ways that people self-harm. And so I think that is not a positive thing that's out there on the internet at all. Um, I also personally really enjoy TikTok. I think there's a lot of fun <laughs> videos on there. So there's, social media is really hard. There's a lot of extreme negatives and also extreme positives. I love TikTok. <laughs> so does my mom. She's obsessed with it. <laughs> of you all got quiet because every single one of you watch TikTok. I see you do it at work. <laughs> okay, anything else that you feel like in the next two minutes that you would re really want this audience to know about who you are, what you do, why you have this passion for mental health and mental wellness. Anything we forgot to ask you? I don't know. I mean, in summary, it affects everyone. And the fact that you're all here listening to our perspective is, again, really important. And just listening to the youth and adults, just the people in your life about what they need can be really impactful. And it's important that you're all thinking about that and trying to do better. Any other, any other parting comments? Okay. Or just thank you for coming out and listening to us. Yes, thank you. Thanks. <laughs>
I truly have to give them all the credit. I see Lisa's coming over, but please, please give them a round of applause. They owned this. Today.